this is Ken at Capital Advantage Tutoring. It's my job to get you past the FINRA and NAS exams. Today, we're going into the Federal Securities Act. This is for both the 63, the 65, and the 66. I can't make separate. I can't put the same video up with different titles. So just fucking deal with it. So this is going to be about the Series 63, the 65, and the 66. The Federal Acts, not the State Acts, the Federal Acts. That's where we're going. Let us get into it. Well, let's start off with this. What are the federal? These are acts that are governed by, they're written by the federal government, right? So they usually, usually on these exams, if you see a year, the only one that's different is 19, USA Act of 1956, which is a state law. If you're at this part of the video, you should know this already. But the federal acts are the Act of 33, the Act of 34, the Act of 39. Ooh, you haven't read about that one. And the two Act of 40, and then the Patriot Act and all that stuff. So usually if there's a year attached, it's almost always going to be a federality. So let's start with the first one. The Act of 33, think of it since it's the first act, it's the primary act. The Act of 1933 is all about issuance. So you don't need the fucking history of it, but understand the purpose of it. Prior to 33, people didn't have any consistent rules they had to follow when they went selling shares to the public. So there was a lot of fraud and lying and ripping off. So the Act of 33 literally just wrote a menu for how people are going to issue their shares. And let's, we're not going to go heavy into it, but let's get into it a little bit. So when you're going to go public, we raise money through the public registering with the SEC or whatever it is. And it is the SEC for the Act of 33. Remember, blue sky laws, if you do what they call qualification, you don't worry about this act, right? Other than anti-fraud. So what we're going to do is we want to issue shares. We want to raise money. So what we're going to do is fill out a letter of intent with a underwriter and file with the underwriter and say, listen, an underwriter is a broker-dealer that's going to help us sell shares to the public. So during that time, that's a pre-filing period. We're hiring the lawyers, the underwriters, all the group. We're filling everything out, but we're not telling anyone about it, except for like insiders and stuff like that. Well, that's where insider trading comes in. Now, once, once we have all the shit filled out, we're going to fill out a registration statement with the SEC. So we file a registration statement with the SEC Right away, and inside that, the prospectus is in there. The prospectus is like a disclosure doc. That starts a 20-day cooling-off period or the waiting period or the, the cooling-off period, the rating period, the timeout period, right? Okay, whatever you want to call it. That, we can't really talk about the issue. We can in a way, but we'll talk about that. You can't really publish and advertise and market the issue. That's what we're, we're just staying quiet while the SEC reviews it, okay? And they take 20 days minimum. Now, if you're a big company, you can get it accelerated. But let's not go there right now. We're just talking about regular 20-day review. They're going to take 20 days to review it. And they're going to come back in at some point and go, it's deficient, which means you got to fix something, or you're effective. We want effective. You'll never see the word approve. We want effective. Effective means that the SEC is going, eh, we haven't found anything wrong with it. It doesn't mean you're good. It doesn't mean it's going to make money. It doesn't mean we approve you. It's literally going, eh, we don't have a problem. I think of it as like getting a gun license in Alabama. You're not a felon and you paid the fee. There we go. Okay. And you didn't lie on the thing, but they don't even know if you lied. What they do is fill out the paperwork. And if you did lie on it, well, you you filed federal paperwork and you lied on it. So you're in trouble. So during the 20 days, you can't do a whole lot, but you can do some things to kind of get it out there. Kind of test. It's not really testing the orders, but kind of like stick your toe in the water. Now, blue sky in the issue, you can start running it through all the states. Because remember, if you're not exempt from state registration, which being registered with the SEC, doesn't always exempt you from registering with the state unless you're federally covered, which is not what we're talking about. So you're registered with the SEC and the states at the same time. So to recap, the Act of 33 is for new issues. It starts to, once you file, it starts a 20-day cooling off period. 
and you can't do a whole lot with it. And now we're going to go through it. One, you can register in the various states. Then you can send out what they call a red herring, which is a preliminary prospectus. Understand a prospectus is a disclosure doc, disclosing all the, the problems, the good stuff, the bad stuff, all that stuff, fair and balanced way. To And it has to be under certain standards that we have to send that out to people who are interested in buying the securities from us on the issue. So we send out a preliminary one, which is missing like the date and the price, because we don't know what that is yet, because we can't assume we're going to be effective. So you blue sky the issue, which means register to all the states. Then we're going to do a red herring or preliminary prospectus, send that out to anyone we think it's suitable for. Now remember, the issuer writes that, not the broker dealer. The issuer writes that and sends it out to us. And now here's the thing. It used to be have to be in paper form and untouched. Now you can send an email link or a or like put it in a PDF. The idea is that access equals delivery. So if you give someone access, if you give someone access to the prospectus through a website or a link, it's considered delivered. Now, if they, as long as you have a paper copy to back it up, you're good to go. So again, prospectus. Now, if you have to deliver this, this is a preliminary prospectus, same thing. And the, the final prospectus is after it's effective. Same rules kind of thing. So now, as far as getting it to them, then you can get indications of interest. It's not binding. Indications like, hey, Larry, are you interested? Yeah, I'd buy some. Maybe maybe at this price, I wouldn't, whatever. They have a conversation, not binding, okay? So the point is to just kind of figure out if people are interested in it. And then the last thing we do is right before it's issued, everyone gets in a room, does a due diligence meeting, accountants, lawyers, everyone, and they do over the final, make sure everything's, all the I's are teed and the T's are dotted, right? I'm reverse that. Just to make sure we're in good shape. That's what they're going to do. And then hopefully on the 20th day, the SEC says you're effective. If they say you're effective, you can start selling it. If they say, no, we have issues, then there's a, there's, sometimes you have to wait longer. You have to get it solved and then fix it. Okay. That's basically the, the beginning of the Act of 33. Now, after it's effective, it's called post-effective. That's where it starts trading. But if we want, now we're going to start allocating shares to the people who said, hey, I want to buy them. And some people get screwed. They wanted to buy a thousand. They get a hundred. Like I think. The way you knew the Facebook deal wasn't good in the beginning. Now, it's a great company now, right? I guess. They, they steal data, so they're good. Okay, they make money. Back then, the stock came out at a price and then it dropped in half. Morgan Stanley came out with it and they said, anyone who wants 500 shares, give it to them. Okay? Anyone who wants shares, give them 500. Usually, it's like you have, you're begging and stealing. Like back in the early 90s, we wanted the Yahoo deal. We had to take all these crap. We were a buyer and we wanted the Yahoo deal because it was going to come out at 20 and we knew it was going to open at like 80 bucks. Okay. It was immediate money. Okay. Hot deal. Good stuff. Great company at the time. We had to take all these crap deals to create like a good favor with the companies. And that comes into an issue that may or may not be on this test. But what happened is we would sell them on the opening and that creates issues with the underwriters because they're like, wait, you're supposed to give it to people who are going to invest for the long haul. Now, one thing I'm going to add in here, if you work for a broker-dealer, if you work for a broker-dealer or a broker-dealer, they are a broker-dealer or immediate family, you cannot buy on equity IPOs. Now, the word IPO literally means equity being issued for the first time, but I say common stock IPO. That's what I should say. Common stock IPOs, because that's you can buy preferred IPOs, you can buy bond IPOs. So common stock IPOs, you cannot buy, even though preferred and bonds aren't considered IPOs, they're just offerings. Now, back to this. I'm a little rant. After it's effective, you start sell, allocating it to the people who wanted it. Say, you're going to get four shares, you're going to get 100, whatever it is. Now, once you give it to them, they have to get their prospectus no later than completion of the trade, okay? No later than completion of the trade. So they have to get their prospectus 
no later than completion. I've said it three times, but let me say what that means. Completion of the trade is basically settlement or when the comm firm has to get there. So they have to get it by then. Now I'm going to show you how long we are subject to the rule. So if you buy it from the issuer for a certain amount of days after the effective period, you must get a prospectus. Now, after a certain days, you don't. But if you're buying it from the issuer over these time periods, you need to get it no later than completion of the trade. Let's get it. Okay, so this is the time period, right? So here's the deal. If you buy an over-the-counter IPO, over-the-counter just means it's not on an exchange. It's trading on the pinks or the OTCBX or whatever it is. It's not on an exchange. So it's riskier. We can't say that, but it is riskier and not covered by as many people. So if you buy an IPO from an over-the-counter over security, then it's 90 days. Then for the next, the 90 days after the effective date, you will have to get a prospectus no later than completion of the trade. If you have an over-the-counter follow-on, what the hell is a follow-on, Ken? A follow-on is when a follow-on is when you issue more shares. So you issue shares one time and then you do it a second, third, fourth time. If it's over the counter, it's only 40 days because it's, it's already been out there and done. Now, if it's an exchange-listed IPO, it's 25 days because it's on the exchange. It's covered by a lot of companies. It's They're scrutinizing every part of it. So not too much worries. And then if it's an exchange-listed follow-on, again, listed on exchange, and then you, you issue more shares then no, Zippo, Nada, Zilch, no prospectus delivery at all because it's already out there in trading. And there's every, probably half the brokerages in the country are already covering it and giving information. So you don't have to do that. That is the issuing part of the Act of 33. Now, the question is, if for, these are for non-exempt securities, right? This is for non-exempt securities. So now let's go through the list of securities that will not have to register under the Act of 33 because they are exempt. Okay, these are the securities that do not have to register with the SEC. Government, any U.S. government, any U.S. government agency. This is different than the state rules, a shorter list. U.S. government and agency, like Ginny May, shit like that. Anything issued by a muni, nonprofit, charitable, religious, domestic banks, all U.S. banks and trust companies. Remember, a trust company is a bank. Savings and loans count, but bank holding companies don't. Remember, bank holding companies are not exempt. Any railroads, utilities, religious, education, charitable institutions, and commercial paper. Now, the commercial paper, we have to put in here 270 days or less. Once you're under 270 days, they don't give a shit, okay? There are other exemptions, exempt transactions, but these are the securities. Governments, munis, charitable, religious, nonprofit, banks, banks and trusts, savings and loans, not bank holding companies, railroads, utilities. I don't have it written here, but it is. Religious, education, charitable, and commercial paper, 270 or less. Those are all exempt securities, which means they do not have to follow the Act of 33, but fraud is fraud. Now, the other thing we can talk about is exempt transactions. These are issued by companies that are not exempt. But remember, if you remember from my other videos, exempt transactions means it's a security that is not exempt, but because of the way you're doing it, it doesn't have to register. The one of them is... Rule 147, that means it's registered in the state only. It's only sold in one state. It's exempt from SEC rules. Doesn't have to do it. Reg A, Regulation A, they're not going to go deep on these exams, but Regulation A is exempt from, from rules because it's too small. Tier 1 is up to 20 million. Tier 2 is up to uh, 75 million. They're not going to go deep on it. Just know that Reg A is exempt from federal law, from federal registration. Then we have Reg S, which is outside the country. So we can't, as long as it's not sold to U.S. residents, we're good to go. Then we have Reg D. Reg D is private placement. Now, that is basically selling to accredited investors. But here's it is. 504, which is a small one, up to $10 million, 
You can sell to up to as many people as you want. We can only raise 10 million. Anyone can buy. You cannot really advertise. 506B says, okay, you can raise as much money as you want, but you can sell to as many accredited investors. What the hell is accredited? Accredited is one, two, three accredited. Remember that. One, two, three accredited. That is one million net worth or 200 salary of single and 300 salary of miserable. I mean, married. Okay. Those are the three things. Also, if you have the series seven or the 65, not the 66, the 65, you're considered an accredited investor. I think they don't do the 66 because you're going to have to get the seven anyway. So why put the writing in? Okay. Now, you can sell to as many accredited as you want, but only up to 35 non accredited. Again, no advertising. 506C, as much money as you want, and you can only sell to accredited investors, zero non-accredited. So that means they can advertise because their idea is that if they put an ad out in the paper, Grammy, just say Grammy or Grampy is not accredited, they couldn't buy on it even if they wanted to. So that's why it's allowed to advertise. So again, Reg A, small issuer. Reg S, outside the country. Think offshore, S for offshore. 147, I always think Ben and Jerry's is Never mind, I'm not going to get into it. Just remember, 147 is one state only. And if you want to know about the Ben and Jerry thing, just come on my live on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, 8.30 p.m. on YouTube. Okay, also, and then the last one is a right D. Think D for direct. It's a private placement on the federal level. Not the same as a private placement on the state level, which is uh, as many institutional as you want versus non-institutional. This is accredited versus non-accredited. Two things. One, my hatcher is crooked. And I swear to God, I never knew till I wore glasses that one ear was obviously lower than the other. Or I'm just, oh, the, hold on, there it is. I'll just stand like this and it'll be straight. Now, so that's the exempt transactions. Those are no, so those securities, those companies issuing those shares would normally have to register. But because you're either doing a Reg D, a Reg A, a 147, a Reg S, they don't have to register. One thing I totally fucking forgot about during the, the beginning, during the 20 day cooling off period, we can do a tombstone. Yeah, we can kill people, put a tombstone. A tombstone ad, okay? A tombstone ad is a very basic thing saying, hey, we're issuing shares. These are the underwriters. This is how much money we're raising. They really can't put the price on until it's effective. But you can, that's kind of the only advertising you can do during the cooling off period. I'm sorry, it's out of order. I'll try to edit it in there. But there's a really good chance I won't, and it'll still be here in the middle of the exempt transactions. But again, going, go back. Tombstones can be done during the cooling off period. Now, remember, before I move on to the 34, if New Year, Happy New Year, if you violate, if you intentionally violate, always the word is intentionally or willfully, if you intentionally violate these laws, there's some jail time on the, on the table. Okay. okay, so this is where I come up with the thing about, you know, the 3510 rule. If you violate state laws, it's three years in jail or $5,000 fine. And if it's federal law, five years in jail, $10,000 fine. So if you willfully violate any of these acts, the 33 all the way up, if you willfully or intentionally violate the acts, you are subject to up to five years in jail and a $10,000 fine per event. Okay, the act of 1930, my God, I can't speak. Act of 1934 is the second act. So think it's a second act, so it's a secondary. So act of 33 is the first one. That's a primary act, primary market. Second act is this is the act of 34, so it's a secondary market, okay? So here are the things. I remember Miss Perms, as my Miss Perms. So if you remember Miss Perms as an acronym, a mnemonic, whatever the hell you want to call it, it's going to help you. Okay. I never know. It's an English thing and grammar thing. Who the, I don't care. Now, so under the Act of 34, they they created the 33. They created the uh, the rules. 
And now the 34, they created the SEC and among other things. So here are all the things that you need to know for under the Act of 34. So one, they gave all of the margin, anything to do with money, anything to do with money in the broker deal and the customer, they gave to the Federal Reserve Board. So that's the whole Reg T. Remember, because Reg T is not just margin. It's also when you when you buy shares on a Monday, you actually have four days to pay. That's Reg T settlement. That's when the customer has to put money in. So they gave all the money, anything to do with money and broker dealers and customers, they put under the guise of the Federal Reserve Board. Then they, the next thing is they defined what insiders were. They had a lot more rules. They can, those, so now insiders are anyone who's a pods, partner, officer, directors, all that shit, plus anyone who is in possession of material inside information. And the tipper, I mean, it used to be just the tippy got in trouble. Now anyone in the chain. So if I tell you information and then you tell your brother and then you tell your sister, and then remember, if they don't trade on it, there's no problem. I may get fired, but no criminal. Once they trade on it, everyone in the line could be nailed. Okay. Then in the the first S, they created the SEC, which is the the government that regulates. Okay, the government that re- the government agency that regulates anything to do with securities, broker dealers, investment advisors, securities exchanges, all that stuff. Okay. The next one is short sales. They regulate short sales. So they started saying before 1933, you could short sell without rules. So now if you want to sell stock short, the SEC has a lot of rules on it. We're not going to go heavy into it because it's not for the seven or the 24, but you will need to know that you will need to get a borrow ahead of time. So if you want to do a short sale, you have to get a borrow or a locate. Okay. You have to, and there's other rules, but we're not going to get into that. So short sales, if you want to sell short, which is basically borrowing shares, selling them, hoping they drop in price, and then buy them back to give the shares back, proxies. Now they allow you to vote by mail. So proxy rules are literally allowing somebody else to vote on your behalf for matters like, you know, stock splits, stuff like that. Exchanges. They actually made the exchanges and all the broker-dealers and the broker-dealers, okay, register with the SEC. Now remember, IAs are registered with the SEC, but under the Act of 40. Not Act of 34. Key. That could show up. So broker dealers and exchanges getting to the Act of 34 had to now register with the SEC. And now the SEC looks over their financials and makes sure they're not doing bad stuff. So that their job is to regulate the broker dealers and exchanges. Now, what they normally do is they have Finder do it first, and then the SEC comes in and brings the hammer down. Okay, reports. Any secure if you're if you ever heard of a reporting company, that means that they are reporting to the SEC. They're reporting their financials. So most issuers, all issuers that are registered with the SEC have to report their financials to the SEC. Now, some companies that are not like the exempt, they're not registered with the SEC, they may choose to report because then they get different, there's different allowances. Like if somebody buys the shares of a company that does report their financials to the SEC, the holding period is only six months versus a year. So the main reports you have to worry about are 8K, which is like a just like an update somewhere in between. A 10Q, you're welcome. 10Q, you're welcome. Uh, that's a quarterly report, unaudited, unaudited. And then a 10K, which is an annual report audited by an independent auditor. Okay, that's the reports. Those are the main ones. If you're an issuer, boom. Manipulation, they put manipulation under here and they made a very broad stroke and they said, listen, if the SEC decides what you're doing, if the SEC decides what you're doing is manipulation or fraud, it is. So this is stuff like painting the tape, wash trades, not wash sales, wash trades, spoofing, marking the open, marking the close, insider trading fraud, all this shit, collusion, spreading rumors are all under the SEC. And what they say is wrong is wrong. Okay. 
than stabilizing. So when we come out with a new company, you know, it may not have a lot of budget. So they allow the underwriter, it's a legal form of manipulation. They allow the underwriter, okay, it allows the underwriter to buy shares at, at the offering price or lower, the IPO price or lower, to hold it there for a certain number of days. They have to announce that it's there, they have to let everyone know, but they are allowed to do that, okay? And that's where I said before that if we were selling shares right in the opening, flipping them out, the underwriter might be buying them and that will cause a problem. So that's why you're supposed to sell two people who are going to invest a long time because what they do, and again, details don't matter on this so much, there's a thing called the penalty bid where if I'm the lead underwriter and I find out that you're selling to people who are selling right in the open, I can actually initiate a penalty bid and start penalizing you taking commissions out of the your pocket when you do that. So that's the Act of 34. Remember, Ms. Perms, they covered margin, insiders, SEC, short sales proxies, exchanges and broker dealers, reports by issuers, manipulation, the bad shit, and stabilizing a transaction. Okay, most of the books won't talk about it. My dog just jumped because I jumped. I was quiet for like 10 minutes. The Act of 39, the Trust Indenture Act of 39 is for corporate bonds, non-exempt bonds. They have to register under the Act, of, not under the Act of 39. They are registering according to the rules. They have to have the trust indenture, which is literally just a document between the issuer and the trustee listing all things the issuer can do, and the trustee will do it. Just know that corporate bonds are issued under the rules of the Trust Indenture Act of 1939. Now let's talk about AML, AML, and it and the U.S. Patriot Act. Okay, so I don't care about the act so much. Just understand that the, the BSA is under uh, the Bank Secrecy Act and the Patriot Act and AML. They all go together because they're making sure you're not ripping people off. So the big thing you have to know about money laundering is the best time to catch it is during the placement when people put the money in. Placement is when they put it in. Layering is when they put layers between the money to hide it, like wiring money, doing transactions, moving it around between different countries so it's hard to track. And integration is when they withdraw it. So let me give my little story in the 1980s when I was a dealer at, not that kind of dealer, a dealer, an assistant dealer. Did they have them? They wouldn't have them on the street in a casino in the 80s. And back then, we didn't know that money launderers were feeding terrorists. We just thought they were doing drug dealers, so we didn't care as much, especially in Atlantic City. Like literally the strip of Atlantic City is there. It's great. And then one step off, you're watching people get shot and all that crazy. Now, every Wednesday night for like six months, a little guy, a little white guy will walk in there and drop $5,000 or $8,000 on red on the nine different tables in the in the, wherever I was. Okay. So now every time, nine, 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 nine. And and he and he wouldn't react. He put the cash down. Never he would always put cash in each one. And that, that's weird. And he would never react win or lose. Because so then what happened is he'd take the money and go to the go to the window and take the cash. He was think about it. He was doing all this stuff. Placement was putting the bets. Then by betting it and getting the chips, winning or losing, he was layering it. And then when he took it out, it was integration. Literally did it every week for as far as I was there, they knew him. They knew of him. They didn't care because the casino actually didn't care because they were making money. They're making a little bit of money off of him because it's it's like 49%. He was losing money. He knew if he bet every time. I think there were nights where he walked away with nothing, and then there were nights he hit every time. He knew over the long haul that it was going to work. It doesn't work anymore because now you report this shit. But back then, it was a little different. So to come back from my story, placement is when they put the money into the system. That's the best time to catch it. That's why you need to take a record of, when people open the accounts, where they get the money from. That's why you have, if you put more than 10 grand in cash in an account, they do a CTR. If you think something's suspicious over, over five grand, you're going to do a, a SARS, which is a bad thing, right? So CTRs are currency transaction reports, anything, any cash in or out 
in an account is going to be reported. It's not a big deal. They report hundreds of thousands a day happen. Okay. So, but the SARS is when they did something wrong and you're going to, you're going to report them to the FBI or the treasury department, whatever. That's kind of like you're going to screw that guy's life up. So you better make sure you notice. I assume it's a guy always doing this shit. The criminals are all men, right now. So again, placement is when they put the money in. That's the best time to check it. You got to take a record of who brings money in. If they bring cash, their name, address, all that shit. And layering is when you're you're like doing wiring it to like the Cayman Islands and the Isle of Man and then Ireland and England and then Afghanistan and then Pakistan, all the countries. So it's uh, Switzerland, so you know, Luxembourg. So it's very hard to track the money and that's layering. And then he sits and then when it gets back to the US or wherever it goes, they will draw the money out and that's integration. So again, placement is placement, layering, then integration. So to go on a little farther on this, every firm has to do annual mandatory compliance training. It could be the little modules that you do where they do the trick, or they come and do a speech to you, and they you know they walk and they give you questions and stuff like that. And they all have to have what they call a CIP, a customer identification program. Like they don't tell you how to do it, but there has to be a way for every broker deal to verify the identity of any person that owns the account. That's part of AML. You also have to check if anyone's on a governmental list, like OFAC, right? They're going to check your name against OFAC to see if you're a, a foreign national that has like some issues with it. And in reality, there's a thing called FinCEN, which only broker U.S. broker dealers get to see. It's a list. And, all, and remember, in the list, like when I had it, it was like I had to sign off on so much fucking shit that I wasn't going to share the list or anything. I could talk about it. It's like Fight Club. You can talk about it, but you can't be it now. Nobody talks about Fight Club. But FinCEN, financial... Financial Crime Enforcement Network is a list. Every week or two weeks, you get a list of all people that had like, they were suspected of money laundering or hiding money. And then you, you would get their report. And if you had one of them as your account, they're the, the case agent be there and you send it to them. Not a big deal. You should verify customers' information. Okay, this is a must. You need their name, the date of birth, the address, and an identification number. Now remember, FINRA does not require a social security number, but under Bank Secrecy Act, you bank safety, secrecy, whatever the hell it is. It is Bank Secrecy Act. I guess I was right. Sometimes I'm right, okay? And if it's a non-U.S. person, you need some sort of taxpayer ID number, something like that. So you need to verify who they are. You need to verify the accounts, okay? MSRB, Municipal Securities Rule and Making Board, just know this, that they write the rules. They don't enforce them. They they write the rules not for the issuers, but for the people selling them, the broker-dealers, the banks, the dealers, the agents, all that stuff. They make the rules for them but they don't enforce. If it's a bank, it's the Federal Reserve or the FDIC or the comptroller of the currency for the banks or for broker dealers, it's the SEC or FINRA that enforces the rules. Now, the last one, there's two more. The Investment Company Act of 1940. The Investment Company Act in 1940 is F-U-M. So I was going to curse, right? F-U-M, face amount certificates, unit investment trust, management companies, F-U-M. It covers all investment companies under there. That's what it is, okay? So the, remember, and this is, I always thought this is so cool. It, you know, how it's 60, 80, 83 years ago, they wrote this. They did the Investment Company Act of 40, and then they couldn't have just waited a year to do the Investment Advisors Act of 40. So literally, you knew there would be students confusing the two. They must have done it on purpose to have a big laugh up in heaven. I've never seen a lot of questions on this, but I'm going to link the mutual fund stuff up here for the mutual funds and annuities. So the Investment Company Act of 40 literally just regulates mutual funds, annuities, face amount certificates, unit investment trusts, and management companies. Management companies are open-end funds, 
Closed-in funds, ETFs, all that stuff. REITs are not covered under this. Everyone tries to think they do. The books try to trick you into that. They don't. Real estate limited partnerships are not under this either. When I do the investment vehicle stuff, I'll talk about mutual funds there. We don't need to do it now because I am just too fucking tired. And the last one is Investment Investment Advisors Act of 1940. That covered all federally covered advisors, which I've done videos on. So the Investment Advisors Act of 40 covers federally covered advisors, not state advisors and federal advisors. So let's go through it. Act of 33, new issues. Act of 34, secondary market. Act of 39, corporate bonds, non-exempt bonds. Remember, non-exempt means corporate. Act of 40, investment company. Act of 40, mutual funds, based on certificates, unit investment trust management companies. Investment advisors, Act of 40. Is it federal covered advisors? MSRB regulates muni, the dealers, not the issuers, because issuers are exempt from federal law. It's the broker dealers, the banks, the issuers, and the not the issuers, the agents, the IARs, all those people who sell the securities, not the issuers, because they're exempt, because they're states. Okay, I got done. I see, I told you I was near the end. Guys, check me out every Tuesday and Thursday night, YouTube, 8.30 p.m. I do a live Q&A. Ask your questions in any exam you want, not just the 65 one. So let's get on to this, and I'll do investment advisory. I don't know what that I'm going to do next. I have no idea. Wait for it, baby. And don't forget, please like, subscribe, share, because it makes me feel good when people do that. It gets that dopamine hit.